0: First application of today, k-image-map-editor. I didn't know what this was at first. I I thought it was going to be another cute plugin. It's not. It is an HTML editor that creates image maps. An image map is, if you've ever seen uh, on the internet, an image that when you roll over the image in different areas, you 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 trigger different events. So, for instance, maybe it's an image of, I don't know a box. And if you hover over the box, then you realize you can click on it and it'll open up what's in the box and you'll be able to see what's inside or whatever. So if you've ever seen those kinds of images on the internet, this is what creates or this is a tool that you can use to create that. And what that is, like I say, it's an image map or really an HTML map entity, which uses screen coordinates to define different hotspots within that page and you can use it can it can use html it can trigger or it could use uh, javascript essentially you're just you're you're defining areas active areas purely by coordinates you can do that yourself you can create a map element in html set your coordinates put a map uh, an image map to that and 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 it it can happen. You can do it yourself. But this tool makes it a very graphical experience. I gotta say it's really, really nice if you choose to do that sort of thing. Now, modern HTML, luckily the image map thing, at least in Firefox, it detects those coordinates essentially as buttons. So if you're using a web browser exclusively with a keyboard, not using your mouse, maybe because you can't see the image or you just can't be bothered to pick up your mouse, um, then this, this, when you tab through an interface in your web browser, those coordinates, the, the, they're treated as distinct elements. So on one hand, that's a good thing. On the other hand, that can be a little bit bothersome because if you've got like 20 things in this hidden in an image, then you have to tab through 20 things to get down to some information that you want or, or whatever. So whether it, that's the best way to organize information, I think is up for a very reasonable debate. But there's probably use cases for it, and uh, this tool, k-image-map-editor, helps you create it. Now, I will admit that, and maybe this is just the basic use case, but for, for whatever reason, when you go to create an image map, there are several steps more than I would have expected. I would expect in a in an application designed to create image maps that a lot of the image map features would w- would trigger by default. But for whatever reason, they do not. And there may be a very good reason for that. I, I I don't use this application myself often enough, well, ever, until I had to learn it for this very episode. I don't use this application. I don't do image maps, really. I just don't have the re- the, the need to do that in real life. So there may be a use case where it's workflow makes a lot of sense. But for me, I felt that the workflow was just, just had a couple of steps in it that, that didn't quite feel intuitive, but that's okay. Cause it's well-documented. And when I say well-documented, I mean, it's a one page user manual. It's really simple, so it's not, it, it isn't impossible to grasp. It's just, you do need to know a couple of steps so let's go through it really quick you launch k image map editor from your uh, menu your k menu as usual you launch it and then you open an image file Uh, it can be a png a jpeg a gif i don't know if it can be a webp or not i didn't try it's not listed in the docs so maybe not but you open up a, an image, and you can just drag and drop an image in there, and and now you've got an image loaded in K Image Map Editor. Here's one step that I felt was a little bit non-intuitive: you have to manually add an image map um, element or or object by going to the map menu and then selecting new map. Once again, I I would have thought that if if I just opened up a new menu or a new image in this application. I would have expected a new map to have been applied automatically but like I say maybe there's a good reason for not doing that. Either way, go to map, select new map and it creates although you won't really know it. I mean, you can you 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 might notice it in one of the side palettes. There's a there's a little docker dialogue box whatever we call them now. Um or not a not a dialogue box, a panel over in the left by by default with the maps the active maps showing being listed so yeah it's it's weird that it's not done automatically um the first time i tried this i felt like it was being done automatically but there's another step later that isn't done automatically so i don't know it's a little bit confusing anyway so we've got this thing we've gone map new map and then you name the map let's just call it my map uh so now you've got a toolbar at the top of the window and hidden away within this toolbar there are some shapes and so it depends on the size of your window if you have a a fairly like a half screen window or something you may not see the entire toolbar i don't know why the shape tools are added to the main toolbar i felt that was a little bit of a strange call um i i strongly suggest if you're going to use this frequently to just switch over probably to icons only at least for for some some of the the elements like your saves and your new file your undo your cut copy paste that sort of thing i would just go icon only and the way that you do that is you right click in that toolbar go to icon site nope uh text position icons only that that turns off the text oh wait a minute these are separate no they're not they're they're not they're they're just separated by separators okay that's what i thought unless they're locked and they are separate are they separate they are separate okay i would okay i would either hide the 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 text as i've just described or move unlock your toolbars and move some of those toolbars around so i've just now moved my shape toolbar and my selection uh uh editor my select my cursor uh to the bottom of the window you could Put it on the side or something like that who knows but um anyway now you've got an image you've got a map there are shapes take a shape choose your shape it could be a circle it could be a hexagon it could be a rectangle or it can even be a freehand drawing and just draw a shape over the area that you want to be your new hotspot it's actually called an area tag apparently when you do that after you draw your shape over the area of the image that you want to be active a, a menu pops up or a, a dialog box rather pops up and there are several attributes that you can assign to this what, what what's going to become a link the general the general assumption is that you've just created an href so let's say that we want for the href we're going to just put http colon slash example.com alt text I'll just put, um, this is some alt text. I mean, that's not useful. I wouldn't do that in real life, but I don't, this image is completely random target. Um, I'm going to do underscore blank that tells your web browser to open whatever we've just triggered in a new, a new window or a new tab. really is what it usually defaults to. And then title, and I'll put this as some title. Okay. you do, You don't have to stop there. You can go over to the coordinates and manually adjust them. Or you can go over to the JavaScript area and put in some JavaScript. So I'm going to just put alert, parentheses, quote, you have clicked my, you've pressed my button. That's a, that's a, pressed my button. Is that a push? No, pushed. You have pushed my button. That's, that's the expression in English that there's an implication, uh, close quote, Close parentheses and of course semicolon at the end. Um, uh, you have pressed my push my button in English uh, has an implication of of being annoyed by someone. You've really pushed my button. That's what we say sometimes. Um, okay, so we've got image map editor. Uh, we've got our image. We've filled out our little magic form, and now here's the other very for me bizarrely unintuitive step that apparently you have to do and that is you go to image edit use map and then you have to tell this thing that you want it to use my map it's got a little drop down dialogue box um and so you have to kind of tell it explicitly to use that the the map that you've created for it i just feel like that's so weird because why else would i be creating this image like at least at the least i think that should be the Default. Anyway, I'm going to click Save now. Little floppy disk icon up in the toolbar. You could go to File Save, obviously, instead. And now I'm going to go out to my Dolphin file manager. Click on example.html, and here we are. So I'm running my mouse over the image, and he, I just, I, it, it turns into a little pointy finger. Uh, over this one area, kind of in the middle of the image, where I put my hotspot, and uh, if I'm rolling over it, if I if I pause on it, eventually a little title box pops up, it says this is some title, and uh, my status bar shows that the destination of this is example.com. So now I'm going to click on it. I should see a little pop up uh, window that says, "You've really pushed my button. You've pushed my button," and I say okay to that, and then once I say okay to that, it pops up with an example, uh, domain screen, which of course is example, uh, dot com. And that's K image map editor, honestly. There's probably a lot, some, some more that you can do with that. Uh, but that is, that's the tutorial provided by the documentation. And if you look at it, I'm going to discard those changes. If you look at the application, look at that, look at the documentation. I I don't think there's a whole lot more you can do with it. I think that's, that, that's the purpose of the, of the thing that that's the application. That's what it does. That's the one thing that it does. It does it well. It really works. Yeah. And it, and it does do it well. Honestly, it is quite, quite, quite satisfactory. Like, um, you know, I don't, I don't need a whole lot out of a K image uh, out of an image map myself, but it is it's really clean, and by clean I mean um, the code that it generates is really really nice. If you can open up the HTML in in a text editor, I've just opened it in you know, Emacs here. Image source equals path to my image use map equals hash my map map name equals my map so there we go we've married those two elements together area shape is a rectangle target blank title this is some title href equals uh, example.com on click equals um alert you have pushed my button this is some alt text coordinates and then it lists the uh coordinates so yeah that seems to all work correctly closes the map and it's just nice you know you don't have a whole bunch of excess code it is just the code that you have created so that's a really useful thing i think i I think that's a really neat little application that i never really looked for before because like i say i just in real life i don't have the need for image maps but if you do then this is a really nice way to do it And I mean, look, I I don't know what the modern tool set is for GUI web development anymore. Uh, Hopefully, they're far and few between because the ones that existed in the past that I was familiar with were just rubbish. Uh, You know, things like Dreamweaver and Photoshop, cutting images up in Photoshop. I mean, it was just, it was miserable. But people did it for a long time, and I guess they thought that was okay, and this is really nice. K-Image Map Editor, just a, comparatively a very, very elegant solution. Yes, there are a couple of extra steps in there that I don't feel are very intuitive. Again, there may be a use case where they become really, really uh, not annoying. This is sometimes what seems like an extra step to the casual user is something it is better than a, a default that the power user has to keep changing or 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 sometimes we'll save by mistake because that was the default that we that you forgot was made default or something like that. So, uh, either way, I think that image K image map editor, I, 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 I think it's a good little application and I like how focused it is. I don't, I don't want to lean too much in the cliche of, Oh, Linux applications must only do one thing. I get that GUI applications do many things, but this, this really is, I mean, it's, it's a very specific task that it does, and I quite, quite like it. Next up is KIMAP. IMAP is an email protocol, and KIMAP is an API for the handling of IMAP data. So I I guess I should look at the, the listing here, but you can probably more or less guess what this is gonna consist of and you'd probably rewrite. It's a bunch of user include KF five stuff. So it's, it's a bunch of header files and your typical translation files. That's it. So this is for stuff. This is stuff for the KDE framework for KDE developers, rather to use to interface or well, yeah, to interface with IMAP. Uh, So I, I I imagine that the primary user of this is going to be Kmail contact. I, well, Kmail more specifically, I, I think that's probably where we're seeing most of this, the usage of this. But I mean, if you wanted to create a, an an email client with with Qt and KDE frameworks, this is these are the these are functions that you could use so that you don't have to write the code to parse all that yourself. I I hate to belabor this. I probably say this every time I come across. A KDE framework, but if you've ever dabbled at all in programming beyond, you know, be, beyond cr- literally creating your your own thing, I feel like there are two two kind of stages, or pro- you know, probably more than that. But let's really broadly let's say there are two stages of of being a a programmer, a hobby level programmer. One is where you're just you're making cool stuff happen through sort of brute force you know you're just you're you you're using the code that you've learned and maybe you're coming up with some really cool solutions but it's all it's all coming from your fingertips like that that's where it's happening but then, at some point you you start to understand well, I should say you think that's where it's all happening because you're typing all those words now, of course, in reality you're you're not making it all happen probably you're 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 almost certainly including or importing or requiring or whatever the keyword your language uses you're you're importing libraries, but to you that's just part of the language because it's just built in uh libraries of that language, so you don't understand really that you're inheriting a bunch of code for free when you import rand for your random number generator or import time or, or whatever you're importing to you that's just your language but then at some point in your programming life you start to transition into an awareness that there's a bunch of other libraries out there and you start really really understanding that you're getting a bunch of code for free because you're importing this library and I feel like that's a real crossover point, because then you really start to understand how much, how lazy you can be, and how good it is to be lazy, because you don't really want to reinvent that stuff. That's not effective. It's not, um, yeah, it's not efficient, that's what I was trying to say. It's not, a fi- or effective sometimes, because it might be effective at first, but then as people use your application, you you see all of the uh, edge cases that you didn't account for while re-implementing something that someone else has already invented. So that's a big deal. And I feel like KDE Frameworks, if you have gotten into that second branch of programming where you really understand truly that there's libraries out there that give you code for free, they're they're just taking your keyboard away from you and it's typing a bunch of code in, hundreds, thousands of, line of lines of code, with logic that you didn't have to figure out, with edge cases that you don't have to account for, and it's just, it's there. And now it's in your code. It's kind of cool. And I almost wish there was a way, and I mean, I mean, there there is a way, but I almost wish there was a, sort of a, a, a default, sort of easy, almost unavoidable way when you run your first uh, Python program. Instead of just, you know, somehow, maybe it could just spit out really quick, here's what your code actually looks like. You know, even if it's just a print hello world, like here's all the stuff that you just got for free just to spit out hello world into someone's terminal. And instead of three lines, it's more like 300 lines. I I think that, that could help people maybe really understand what they're getting when they use a library. And that's not... I'm not saying that like people need to understand and be grateful. I'm just saying I think there's a, a, a weird gap in the concept of, well, this is the code that I write, and this is the stuff that just happens magically. And and you know, magic is not good. Like that's you don't want that in computing. You want stuff to be understood, and and so that's what I'm trying to solve there with this imaginary thought exercise. Anyway, that's the frameworks, that's KDE frameworks, it gives you a lot of cool code for free. And I imagine that if I was programming something with Qt, KDE, I would really appreciate KIMAP. Well, I should say if I'm programming something that needs to interface with KIMAP, I would. Time for coffee. You get yours, I'll get mine. Meet back here, finish up the episode. <laughs> Okay, I'm here with coffee. I hope that you've got your coffee. Let's uh, get back to the show. And speaking of coffee, actually, I got a comment from a listener on Mastodon. This is from Ectasis. Ectasis says, hi, been listening to old episodes with lots of coffee talk. Got me wondering if you only buy fair trade labeled coffee or what your thoughts on fair trade are didn't actually catch that or originally in my head that was and anyway i i don't know about i don't know a lot about fair trade i know that it is a label an industry uh, term that gets labeled on coffee to as far as i know represent some kind of assurance to a consumer that the product you are consuming was paid for and has dealt with farms or or, or vendors who do things, quote, ethically. And I, I really, I don't like the level of abstraction from where we are getting things from. I, I don't know a solution to it, though. So taking all of it at its word, just to, to assume that... Fair trade is exactly what it says, which is that it gives, that it ensures that the people harvesting coffee beans are being treated well. And again, I, you know, I don't know what that means. Like, what does well mean? I don't know. So, treated well, being paid a fair amount, that sort of thing. Taking it at its word, I am fortunate to be in a financial situation. Right now, at least, things change. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But right now, I'm in a financial situation where I can, very conveniently, without even giving it a second thought, support exclusively fair trade coffee. Meaning, when I go to the store, the brands I have to choose from are marked as fair trade brands. The coffee that I purchase for myself is coffee that's being purchased at reasonable market rates, so that everyone involved is paid equally and fairly and all these other things. Now, I don't for a minute believe that that it's completely a perfect system, because there are very few perfect systems, especially when money and production is involved. But ideally, buying fair trade is at least better than buying not fair trade. Having said that, however, I, I, I'm I imagining that the people harvesting coffee beans are not paid what they're worth, because people who harvest food in general aren't being paid what they're worth. There's a lot of sort of imbalance in the world, and and that's unfortunate. There are whole countries where the workforce is almost wholly oppressed, and yet that same workforce completely supports their country that is oppressing them. They are happy to be there. They are. They will ardently defend it. They will even sign up to armed forces to go try to spread the way of their country to other countries by force. So yeah, there are problems, but I feel like that's kind of a defeatist attitude, right? Instead let's just assume that fair trade is doing good in the world and luckily right now i'm able to support fair trade that's that's what i've got for you i don't know if that's really acceptable it's not wholly satisfactory to me but that that's what i've got uh, i would love to know more about this too cuz i i don't like to sound or be or feel defeatist because i don't Think that that's very constructive, but at the same time, I, I also think it's important to recognize that just because some marketing entity somewhere said that it's better to get the box with a, a green label on it than a box with a blue label on it, I, I don't want to. I don't want to pretend like that's just a guarantee and no more thought is required. Because I don't know any coffee farmers and. If I do know any coffee farmers, for instance, listening to this podcast, and you want to tell me your opinion on fair trade, I would be all ears. I'd be very interested in actually hearing what kind of change or difference that is is making. Now let's look at K-Info Center. This is one of my, honest to goodness, favorite applications on Linux at all. K-Info Center. I'm not kidding you. I have this pinned to my KDE panel. I love this application. K-Info Center is an application that aggregates a bunch of information about your system all in one place for every user. Any user who wants to see this stuff can click on the K-Info Center and get all kinds of information about their system. And the reason this is one of my favorite applications on Linux at all is because I really honestly believe this is important information for every user to have really easy access to, and it almost makes me angry when it's obfuscated in any way. And I know that there are ways, there are always ways to get this information. I understand that. I realize you can just go to cat slash proc cpu info and get a big dump of information about your CPU. I realize that you can do LSPCI. And then, like, maybe sort of, um, oh, apparently not without sudo, I can't, lspci, and get a bunch of information about all the different things plugged into all of the different ports of your, of your computer. And I guess you could do, like, a grep, I don't know, what, vga, maybe, to get some information about... Oh, forgot to pipe it. Grep VGA to get some information about your graphics card. I I know you can do free and free dash m and all these. You know you, you can do all of that. It's there. I I know that there are other applications like i i n x i and what is it? Screen fetch, I think. So yeah, there are lots of options, and I understand that, but I don't know that all of those options are really easy for every user. And I don't know that those options deliver the information in a way that every user finds useful. And so I really like K-Info Center. The first time I think I saw K-Info Center, or maybe I'm just conflating a couple of different things, but I know that Magia, for instance, or when I saw it, it would have been Mandriva still. I, I know that they had like a sort of a, you know, get information on your computer panel at one point. And I used to love that really just loved it and and then eventually i found k info center and fell in love with it so when you launch k info center and again you can do that just from you know just type in info center there it is info center in your k menu when you launch it it starts with a little this little default summary screen just called about this system and here it is it's got the slackware logo slackware 15.0 slackware.com Softwares, KDE Plasma version five point two three point five, KDE Framework version 5.9, dot uh, 0.0, Qt version 5.15.3, Kernel version 5.15.38, Graphics Platform x one, Hardware, Processors 12, AMD Ryzen 5, 5600, X6 Core, Processor, and so on. So lots and lots of information. I can even copy all of that information to my clipboard. Now I have all that, all the basic info. Someone... Using a computer, you ask, give me information about your system. You tell them to go to K-Info Center, copy that to their keyboard. They have it. They can paste it into an email. Done. No screenshots. Nothing. It's just everything that they saw you now have in, in an email. But that's not all. That's just the summary screen. There's also a memory screen that shows you your total physical memory, the free physical memory, shared memory, disk buffers, disk cache, total swap memory... Uh, it, it gives you little bar charts of how that memory is being used. Here's a disk cache of 65%, free is 8%, application data is 25%, and so on. You you can look at the energy um, information about your computer. I mean, especially useful if there's a battery in, in your computer, which there there isn't here. Uh, storage drives, you see all of your different hard drives. You see what size they are, you see their locations of them processors again you see all the processor information how many cores you have DMA channels IEEE 1394 uh, devices none of those IO ports interrupts PCI smart status USB devices graphics you see ever all the information about your uh, graphics card about what which graphic card you actually have what what the specifications about it are what OpenGL version it is using what Vulkan all the vulcan uh information the x server information and it just goes on and on and and then there's I forgot network there's a network one as well and you get all of the inf- you know you want someone's IP address this they can find their IP address finally they can just go to network and then It it goes by default to network interfaces and it shows all the different interfaces and there are a lot of them admittedly right now in my system because a lot of these are um, tunnel devices, uh, virtual bridges going to a virtual machine. Not a big deal. You just tell them to look for the one that starts with 10.0 or or the one that starts with 192.168 or however you've got things configured where you ask them for the names and you zero in on the Ethernet or the Wi-Fi, whatever. Point is, it's all here in a very approachable kind of non-scary graphical view. And it's just so useful. And the thing is, I, I keep speaking of it as if though the person that will be using this is the is the person who, you know, shouldn't really be on Linux and and, and still is afraid to go over to console to type something in. But it's it's not. I mean I use K Info Center all the time. Like I use it just all the time. For one reason or another. Whether it's because I've uh momentarily forgotten how much memory I have in my system or I've forgotten what version of KDE I'm running. I All I ever remember about that is that it says it's the 25th anniversary edition when I launch, when I, when I uh, go into my desktop. So I, I never can remember the numbers associated with it. Um, I don't really use the network one very much, but, um, or or possibly ever. But yeah, there, there's, there, there are little bits of information and, and especially the, uh, the graphics card stuff. Like that stuff is just such a tedious, it's so tedious to try to get that data from from anywhere else so just opening up k-info center gives it to you, gives everything right there to you it's parsed nicely laid out nicely it's just such a nice application I love k I believe every desktop should have k-info center and if you don't want k-info center then it should have you should have, there should be an equivalent of that for Gnome and there isn't by the way Gnome has system settings which by the way From the name makes it sound like it would be a place to go for system settings. Um, So it it has settings and you can go there and and glean a lot of information about your system. But you have to click around a lot and kind of go into places that well really you could change stuff from. The K-Info Center is not it's not interactable. I mean it is a little you can click on buttons to, to change what you're looking at. But I mean you can't change that from here. You can't go to your network And accidentally bring your you know uh, change your network selection you can't change the state of your of your connection you can't put your network down by by looking at your network information and i think there's an there's a a value to that and i I think that's that's really really useful that is k info center next we're going to talk about k init which you would think well i guess that's another kde application it is not, except it also is. So k-init is, this is very confusing, but there are two applications technically called k-init. I mean, not really, because this isn't called k-init. This is actually k-d-e-init, and specifically it provides k-d-e-init-5 and k-d-e-init-5 shutdown, k-d-e-init-5 the wrapper. So this, the KDE init is a process launcher similar to, you know, any init application. It, it it initializes a thing. So this launches processes by forking them and then loading a dynamic library that, that has, it's, it's kind of like you're almost preloading some of the, the essential things that, that KDE applications are going to require. In practice, like in everyday practice, I kind of feel like what this, what this kind of does, and I, I don't even know if this is all that useful. But what you can do is, in your, if you're in a console, you can type in KDEinit5 and then the name of a KDE application, like KDEinit5 space Dolphin, bang, it's open. And and that forks that process. So you get your, or not for, yeah, it launches a new process. So you get your terminal prompt back. You still get output into the terminal. So it's not like you're losing anything there. Um, and you, you get a little bit of a report on it, like what the process number for that is now. According to the man page, KDE init5, it also, it uses, so it says, or does it say here? Using KDE init 5 to launch KDE applications makes starting a typical KDE application a couple times faster and reduces memory consumption by a substantial amount. I have done my best to use KDE init 5 to launch applications over the past two weeks. And actually it's been about three weeks now. And on, I couldn't tell you. Could not tell you. I can't I cannot discern that they launch faster. I cannot discern whether they are using less memory. It's just not something... My my computer has 32 gigs of RAM. It has so much RAM that I typically use a good chunk of it, usually 4 to 8 gigabytes, as a RAM disk, where I put things like the data that I'm going to be using that day, I'll I'll put copies of it into a RAM disk, and work off of those copies, like especially with like PDFs or big documents like that. Uh, I'll just copy them over to a RAM disk, so so I can just launch them from there because they do launch so so much faster from a RAM disk. But KDE five in KDE in five, I have not noticed one at all the, uh, an improvement over performance or in performance rather, um, because I was not suffering in the first place. So without a really scientific study of the benefits i can't say whether or not this has made any difference to my computing life at all but it's good to know about and maybe it's something for you to try if you feel like things are lagging a little bit on your computer try kde in it 5 see if that speeds up the launch times and reduces memory consumption because it would sure be cool if it did but yeah personally i have not I've not noticed that myself. Okay, so K init, the other K init, which I'm not going to go over right now, is a Kerberos a Kerberos uh command. And you can use it to get a um a certificate from your Kerberos provider so that then when you go to uh websites you know that 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 are looking for a Kerberos uh certificate, uh, authentication you have that cached on your system. So if you're signing into like a Fedora site or something where they can use that, like the build site for Fedora can use K init to authenticate you as the 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 as being the right person who, who has signed into that account and you know is trying to build an RPM against that against that account. So it's it's uh it's easy to confuse K init with K init from the package name. But this k Anet is KDE NET five. Kerberos's Anet is just Anet for real. Okay, now let's talk about KIO. So I've talked about KIO slaves before, and those are little library functions that um, extend what you can do with Dolphin. Uh, for instance, you insert a, a a CD of music into a CD drive, and Dolphin interprets it as A collection of files even though it's not files it's just a bunch of audio data but Dolphin understands that were you to extract a song from that CD you would you would be doing that by turning it into a file and so it represents that file to you it is a fascinating fascinating way of of interpreting data and and that's what some you know that, that that's in general what KIO is all about it's it's how it how it 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 presents data to you. And KIO itself has, well, let me just read the description here. This framework implements almost all file management functions you ever need. In fact, the KDE File Manager, Dolphin, and the KDE File Dialog also use KIO uh, to provide network-enabled file management. It supports accessing files locally as well as over HTTP and FTP, and it can be extended with other stuff and there's more plugins available to support stuff such as ssh so i think this probably more than anything i could be wrong but i i kind of feel like this more than anything a long long time ago really drove home for me that something like for instance http especially because i think that's the that's the most magical one it 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 this this conveyed to me that HTTP it's no different than any anything else. You're just looking at files on a drive. the The difference is that there are little hooks programmed in to some things, like a web browser, for instance, such that those files look different to you. They look you're you're looking by default at the contents of the file rather than the icon an icon representing that file kio in dolphin brings full network transparency to to your computer so you can for instance type in um fish f-i-s-h colon slash slash and then the address to some computer on your network uh possibly preceded by your username depending on how you've got your computer set up Uh, so like fish colon slash slash clatu at 192.168.1.5 hit return you'll be prompted for a password for that computer and you would type that in and hit return and then as if though the files were located right there on the computer that you're sitting at you see all the files in in dolphin and you can use them you can interact with them you don't have to like copy them over to a local uh, location you can just start using them and it is so so convenient Um, i can't remember really the last time i bothered juggling files across my network anymore i just i just open things up on a different computer on the screen that is most convenient to me i'm sure there are exceptions i i use this as a convenience function it's something that i do around the house when I need to look at a a document or edit a text file. It's, it's not something, you know, I'm not, I'm not designing a whole workflow around it for a complex process. So there may be exceptions to how far that this, how far this extends, but certainly for, for what I'm using it for, this has made my network a lot more cohesive than I feel I've had to work to to make it feel, you know, know, like it, it has added quite a lot to, to my network that I never had to sit down and configure myself. It's just a reasonably, a, a, a reasonable network configuration and KIO has, has brought me so much. And so it's, it's really, really nice. I, if, if, if you're not using it, check it out really, because it is just fantastic. So the, package itself KIO 5.90 provides the 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 main um protocols uh, like a, a protocol for like viewing your trash as a single location um viewing um well ftp for instance automatic ftp you don't have to go to a different application for that um, it, it knows what to do with an HTTP application. It won't launch it straight into dolphin. Dolphin is not conqueror, but it will open it up in your default browser. Now there are KIO extras, which conveniently is the next one in, in the list, and that provides a bunch of other stuff, a bunch of other, um, functions as well, for instance, fish, F I S H B zip two, you don't have to, you don't have to do anything special for a B zip two document you can just look at it you don't have to you know to open it up into something else. nfs that's there as well uh, man info xz samba tar just a lot of different things dolphin just kind of knows what to do about, with those things um, depending on your configuration so if you go to dolphin go to configure in the you know in the main menu configure dolphin And then there is a place where you can choose certain, certain functions. So there is, for instance, a place where you have to decide where you, how you want to open up, for instance, archives. And there is an option to open archives directly in, in dolphin, although I am not finding it right now as I speak, but trust me, it is there. You can just open up archives right within dolphin as if though they were folders i don't have that enabled i actually prefer now for there to be a specific application which we've covered in a previous episode called arc A-R-K. I, I, I prefer to open up my archives in arc just because it does have a lot of functionality and i just kind of like the idea that i have a, a an application dedicated to, to in-depth real-time usage of of compressed uh, files. So yeah, here it is. Finally, navigation, open new tabs after current tab, open archives as folders, open folders during drag and drop operations. So I have open archives as folders disabled. I do not have that enabled. That is left unchecked on mine, but you could do that. And then you would be using the KIO functionality of seamlessly introspecting and and using and opening a compressed file as if though it was just a a folder full of files. Oh, and I should mention too, I'm sorry, because I I tend to focus on Dolphin because that's where I, I guess I, I mostly use this, but I mean, this is KDE frameworks, right? This is all this, there's integration here. So at any application that is KIO aware, you can use this same thing with those applications so for instance let's say you're editing text in kate and you want to edit a remote file that happens not to be on your local computer it's in the lap it's on the laptop in the other room you can you can just open that up from within kate uh is another one that's kio aware so there's a there's several kde applications that just give you kio functionality for free thanks to the kio subsystem so that's kio extras is there anything else kio oh yeah kio g drive i think that's the last one okay we'll end with that kio g drive as you might imagine enables you to interact with a google drive straight within dolphin i don't use i try to avoid google drive i i do interact with google drive um but i i not not for personal information um so i i don't i don't actually use this but you can try it. G Drive colon slash slash, and then your um your username or your your yeah your username at and then I think what is it something like the email address probably so I think just your email address probably or something like that I forget. Um, let me let me try with like a fake fake account here. Let me do, yeah. Let me let me try this. So I'm gonna put my user uh, an email a junk email address. That is, of course, Gmail, because those were easy to get at one point. And then I'll open it in Firefox to sign in, because you have to authentic you have to agree, you know, you have to let, you have to let Akinati resources for Google services into your account. So I'll put in, I'm putting in my fake account name, and it recognizes that. And I put in the password, and then I've got two uh, to two factor authentication enabled even for a fake account that I don't actually use, that's fine. Okay, so I'll get my little two factor authentication token. I'm getting that. Th- this is the kind of thing by the way K init could help you with. I-, I don't know how to use K init with Google services because I don't I don't I don't interact with them that much. But it is possible. Okay, there we go. Alright, so or I mean I don't know that it's possible, what am I saying? Um but for other services like other if it's kerberos based you can use k in it anyway um i'm i'm in oh and it looks like this has failed it says this app is blocked this app tried to access sensitive info in your google account to keep your account safe google blocked this access so that did not function as i'd expected oh well um like i say i don't really interact with google services uh often i try to avoid it when i can um it, it's handy for you know online accounts and things like that sometimes but something i i typically try to just ignore and avoid so i don't know um i'm not going to spend time trying to figure that out because i don't care enough but if you if you do use google drive and many people do for school for work for whatever so if you do use google drive this could be something or maybe google's changed something on the back end i suspect that i would have to just look up how to enable like uh, application access for my for that google account and and then you know do something in in the settings of Google to allow that application access i guess I don't really know maybe i maybe you need a developer token or something who knows that's not a wonderful way to to end this episode with with failure, but i mean sometimes that happens and and it's like i say we're it's not really worth pursuing i don't think so that's k i o let's just focus on k i o not on k i o of k i o g drive who cares about g drive k i o very, very cool system. It permeates a lot of KDE. So start using things remotely. It's it's easier than you might think. And and type weird stuff into Dolphin's little URL bar. You never know what you'll find. It's a very cool system. And, and if you want to know what you'll find, have a look through the KIO packages on Slackware. It kind of explains it there. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. My name's Clatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is clatou at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not Clatu help others